please open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. If you don't know your Bibles very well, it's kind of towards the back, and you'll have just a minute to get there. There's a song that's been sung for years, and it's gone like this. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. How many of you grew up singing this song? Just a show of hands. And then you can kind of fill in whatever you want to fill in as you sing the song, right? Like he's got uh, you and me brother in his hands. He's got you and me sister. He's got the tiny little baby. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. This is a Negro spiritual. It was sung in cotton fields in times of deep oppression and injustice. And there are songs like this and songs we sing that I'm sure there were days that there were African-Americans and there were slaves in fields singing this song. And I'm sure they were, there were days when they sung that believing that this was their confession. They believed this with all their heart. They were singing it with all their might. And I also bet there were days that they sung this song, not believing it to be true or not sure if it was true, but wanting to press into it as a reality. And this is how we sing a lot of our songs too. There are times you sing songs, even this morning, and you're like, I know, without a shadow of a doubt, this is true, and I'm making my confession. And other times we sing songs, and we're like, I really want this to be true, but I'm struggling in my faith or in my belief, but I want to press into this as a truth and as reality. In one of the gloomiest times of the Great Depression, almost a century ago, Franklin D. Roosevelt made a statement that's now been quoted all over the place. You see this hanging up in homes and businesses and, and uh, government places. And it's, you know, when it comes to fear, that all we have to fear is fear itself. When he made this statement... I'm sure there was part of it he's making this statement based on the uh, America's res Americans' resolve, but I'm also pretty sure that he was making this statement as a way to try to generate courage that was lacking in the lives of people, trying to give them something to live into and to press into. And this is how the book of Hebrews works. That Hebrews is written to a lot of people, and I think a lot of them were losing their confidence in their faith, they were losing their confidence in their confession, Trying to ask, like, what does it mean to live out Jesus in the world? And some of them are shrinking back. Maybe there were some who were totally denying the faith. A lot of them that just weren't sure how to practice their faith. And they were losing their confidence. The word confidence shows up over a half dozen times throughout Hebrews. So Hebrews has these moments of these great reminders of who Jesus is. And for some people, they would read that and they're like, yes, I believe it with all my heart. And I think there were also people in the church who heard these things and they're like, okay, I'm struggling to believe it, but I want to press into that as a reality. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It's one of the most beautiful, well-written statements in the entire Bible. There's some people who don't even believe in the Bible, but they love English. They love just literature. And if you read this in the Greek, it's beautiful. It's poetic. It has a, a nice rhyme to it. It's well thought out. It's thoughtful. And it goes like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And for the reading of the word of God, the whole church said, the church said, amen. Uh, I talked a little bit last week about the eye-ear gap that you find in the book of Hebrews. And this is something I think a lot of you can relate to in your life too. And this eye-ear gap is that sometimes our eye misses what our ear hears. So we hear things, but our eyes don't see it as a reality. 
So for Hebrews, and maybe for you too, there are times in Hebrews where with the ear what they heard was that God made Jesus, appointed Jesus to reign over all things, yet with their eye, they didn't see life as if Jesus was reigning over everything. There was destruction, there was oppression. So sometimes we can hear that Jesus is overall or God is in control, but our eye doesn't see it. You hear in the Bible about the peace that passes all understanding or the unending joy that is in the life of a believer, but with your eye, sometimes you don't see it. There's this eye-ear gap. So what does it mean for you? What does it mean for us to navigate life when that eye-ear gap seems to be wide? So the issue with a lot of people in Hebrews is they're drifting. And I think what's really important for us to grasp and to understand is they're not drifting as if they have like totally neglected church doctrine and theology. They're not drifting because of that. They're drifting because their practice is drifting. This is some of the most dangerous forms of Christianity today. It's, it's people who hang on to doctrine, but they forget to like live out the practice. So throughout Hebrews, you have places like this. And, and let me just read a few of them about drifting. Hebrews 2.1. We must pay the, pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Hebrews 3, 7 and 8, so as the Holy Spirit says today, which is a big word in Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Hebrews 3.12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Hebrews 5.2, he is able to deal gently with those, talking about Jesus, a priest. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant or going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. Hebrews 10.39, which is like an anthem as I read through Hebrews, is this. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. All right, so here's what we've learned. I think most of us have learned this in our lives. It doesn't take long in life for you to drift away from what you know needs to be the core of your existence. It doesn't take long for you to drift away from your center and then come to the reality that I have drifted further than I thought I had drifted. And now you're faced with the idea or, or with a decision. Am I willing to do the hard work of trying to get back to that center or do I just remain where I am and tread water through the rest of life? Does this make sense at all? This happens with sin. It happens with complacency. So it's been said before that the greatest atheists in the world are children of the church. Because some people deny the faith or walk away from the faith. And some people it's because of intellectual curiosity. Because of creation theories or evolution or just questioning if the Bible is absolute truth. Or, or just the way the world works or how prayer works. So they drift away because intellectual curiosity. Some people drift away because of intellectual boredom. They just get bored with the faith. Or they just don't think the way of Jesus is captivating and compelling enough. What you have a lot is people who don't deny all the doctrine. They just stop with all the practice and they just drift. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 2 Chronicles. And there's a king named Asa. Now, Asa became king at a young age. And he had a real fire and passion for God. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians 14, verse 2 and 4. And it says this, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord as God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. 
So he's setting forth an example of what it means to honor God and try to pursue God in all you do. Early on in Asa's reign as king, he ends up in a battle. And in the battle, you have him crying out to God. And in 14 verse 11, it says, Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. This is a man who's like in tune with God and wants to lead other people to do the same. You have a few verses later where 2 Chronicles tells you that Asa served the Lord as God for all of his life. And maybe it should have said almost all of his life. Because 25 years went by in Asa's life. And there seemed to be kind of a time of peace and he became kind of complacent in his life. So what you read about in chapter 16 of 2 Chronicles is Asa begins trying to make these deals with other leaders and other kings and he begins bargaining and he begins relying on his own wisdom, his own strength, his own power and his own wealth. So he's bargaining and making all these peace treaties. So a prophet comes to Asa and the prophet looks at Asa and the prophet's like, Asa, you need to check yourself. This is Josh Ross's version of 2 Corinthians 14 through 16. He's like, you need to check yourself. Because you're relying on your own power, your own wealth, and you're doing things that God hasn't commanded you to do. And the prophet tells Asa that because of what you have done, there are going to be great consequences. And you know what Asa did? Now, here's the thing, all right? For any of you, when you are confronted by either someone you love or maybe someone you don't even like, when you're confronted because of something you've done, do you get really defensive about it even if you know they're right? Or do you heed their advice or at least consider it? And here's what Asa did in chapter 16, verse 10. He was angry with the prophet, so he put him in prison. And then it says at that same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. So what happened in Asa's life over a 25-year period that made him shift from pursuing God and relying on God to fight battles and to lead him and to, to get into a place where he's relying on his own power? It's just over time, he just, he just drifted. I bet some of you, I bet you can think of the year in your life where you slowly drifted from, from what the center of your life should be. And it may be sin that led you there. It may just have been apathy or complacency. But at some point, I bet you've awoken in your life, or maybe you need to today, to see maybe I've drifted further from where I need to be. And, and how often do you take time in your life to pause and just reflect, God, am I doing what you've created me to, to, to do? Am I... Am I living the kind of life you've created me to live? What do you want of me? So Hebrews has an answer to all this. And the answer to any kind of drifting that can happen in your life is Jesus. And it sounds so elementary, right? I mean, maybe you've heard the story. There was a Sunday school teacher, and she was teaching class, a bunch of kids one day. And she said, okay, I have a question for you. Uh, what is f- furry, has four legs, climbs trees, and eats nuts? Furry, four legs, climbs trees, and eats nuts. And one girl hesitantly raised her hand, and she said, I'm pretty sure the answer is a squirrel, but I'm going to go ahead and go with Jesus. <laughs> Be- because Jesus has answered everything, right? Especially in church. Any question, we go with Jesus. Jesus is the answer. But in Hebrews, the answer is Jesus. You're drifting from the truth. Focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is right after chapter 11 in Hebrews, which talks about, it's a chapter where it's like the hall of fame of faith where by faith Abraham and by faith um, uh, Moses and Noah and names all these people throughout scripture. And it's almost like the author of Hebrews is saying, okay, all those people are great people, but you don't fix your eyes on them. You don't fix your eyes on Abraham. You don't fix your eyes on Moses. You don't fix your eyes on any of those other prophets. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of your faith. You can try to run from Jesus in your life but you're gonna be confronted by the reality of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection over and over again. You can run from him, but you're gonna be confronted with the reality. Every Christmas, you're gonna be confronted with the reality. You're gonna see crosses. You're gonna hear the stories. History's done this for 2,000 years. Almost every religion in the world has had to wrestle at some point what they're gonna do with Jesus. And they may not land on Jesus being the son of God and the savior of the world, but almost every religion has had this think about what do, we, what do we do with Jesus? I mean, there are cities today in our country who are named after him. You're confronted by it. Los Angeles, city of angels. San Francisco is named after a church leader, Francis. Sacramento is named after the sacraments. Dallas is, I don't know who Dallas is named after, all right? But I'm pretty sure it's something really good. The prestigious universities in America today were were born out of, like, the name of Jesus was on their lips. It's still in the hallways. I mean, you think of the prestigious universities today. Princeton, Harvard, ACU, Yale, all right? They've been around for a long time. You're confronted with the reality of, of who Jesus is. And Hebrews begins with a statement, an answer to any of life's problems. Here it is, the first three verses. This is it. If you want to see some places in the New Testament that sum up Christology or who Jesus is all about, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and right there with them needs to be Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. So let's walk through it. Hebrews 1, verse 1, the first thing this, this author wants the church to hear is this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. This is literally what it says is in, in, in fragments. It's like God speaks throughout history, a little bit here, a little bit there, speaking through prophets, four prophets, two prophets, God speaking through dreams, so many different ways, of various different ways that, that God speaks truth into people. When God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, God used his mouth to create more than he used his hands to create. God spoke, things happened. Close to my, my prayer language, whenever I'm interceding for people or walking throughout this room is, is Isaiah 55, when it declares that a word that leaves the mouth of God doesn't return to him void. It performs the purpose for why it was sent. God's words perform. So I'm begging God, God, speak and declare restoration or redemption or healing over people because God's words, like nothing can resist them. When God speaks, they perform. Jesus is known as the word. This is name alone in John 1. Jesus is the word. And throughout Hebrews, you have this a lot. 
And the author of Hebrews wants you to know it's not just that God spoke a long time ago, but that God is still speaking today. Thomas Long says this, God speaks in the quietness of prayer and the noise of honest debate. God sometimes speaks in powerful moments of spiritual wonder and also in the seeming humdrum of committee meetings, which makes me chuckle a little, but comforting too. God's speech can be heard when nations make peace and when neighbors speak kindness across the backyard fence. God speaks through the Bible and also through the touch of a caring hand hand at a bedside. God speaks in the voices of the choir, the beauty of art, the spangling of heavens with stars, and the cries of the hungry for food, the lonely for companionship, the sick for healing. The press down for hope. So this past week, I went to hang out with one of our members, Pat Simon. Pat Simon was just diagnosed with cancer again, and she's just been given a few months to live. So I went to her house. When I showed up, she was, in, she was deep in sleep. So I, was, I talked to her sister for a little while, and I was about to leave. And then Kathy went inside, and Pat was waking up, and Kathy said, come, just come. Just stay for a minute, but just come. And so I sat down next to Pat. And when you sit with people who've been given just a few months to live, conversations are a little different than if you and I sat down to drink coffee. She was asking a lot of questions about God and about purpose and about joy and about suffering. And we sat there and we processed all of this for a little while. And I laid hands on her and I prayed. And I prayed in accordance with what she wanted me to pray for. I prayed for healing. I prayed for joy and the presence of God to be with her no matter what. And I stood up to leave because I had to go to a chapel service. I was speaking at Harding School of Theology that day for chapel. So I had somewhere to go. As I stood up to leave, Pat looked at me and she said, Josh, you came today to be with me and to talk to me and to pray with me. But I think God has something you need to know. So why don't you sit back down? And if somebody has been given a few months to live tells you to sit down, you sit down. I mean, I wasn't going to say, I got to go speak at HST. So I sat down. And Pat looked at me and she said, God needs you to know something. God has created you with a tender heart. And tender hearts break easy. And she said, this is a gift. And she said, I don't know details, but I bet your heart has been broken this year. And I bet the way you go about ministry, because you preach with your heart just as much as you preach with your head, and the way you try to live your life and help other people, I bet your heart breaks a lot. And she said, God wants you to know that when your heart breaks, God is there to put your heart back together. And when you get upset or frustrated that God has given you a tender heart, you don't embrace that as a weakness. You embrace it as a gift. I know. I didn't cry in the moment, but I caught in my car and I had a little moment. I went home and shared it with Casey. I was like, man, I think God just used Pat to speak a word in my life that I needed to hear. God speaks in various ways. He speaks through dreams. But here's the thing when it comes to like hearing God and listening for God. Is most of us do a lot better job of talking to God and not listening to God. Whenever you hear somebody say, let us pray, you can almost hear a pin drop. Sometimes it's what we do when you can't silence a crowd. Just say, let us pray and people will be quiet because it's our turn to talk to God. 
But too often when, when, when you hear somebody say, let's read the word of God, let's hear from the word of God, you, people are checking Facebook and moving around. When we talk, we want to listen. But what is your discipline in your life? To listen to see if there's anything God may want to say. Throughout Hebrews, there's a, there's a challenge for responsible listening. That God speaks, how do you listen? Hebrews 5.11 says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. It's like immature is stunted because you're no longer practicing trying to listen to God. Hebrews 12.25 says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Not who spoke, but who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Every talker needs a partner, I think. Some of you may do really good talking to yourself. But most people who talk a lot, at some point in their lives, they want somebody to talk to. Here's the amazing thing about God, is that God speaks not just his language, God speaks so many languages. And when God speaks throughout scripture, and I believe when God speaks today, God is speaking in a way that is self-disclosure, that when God speaks, God is He's dispensing truth. God is revealing part of his own character. God is revealing who you are. God's revealing what he thinks about evil, what he thinks about goodness. There's self-disclosure, which means so much to me about God. That when God speaks, he cares about his character being known. Which is what Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 gets at. In verse 2, it's, but in these last days... Now, this isn't saying that all the ways God spoke in various ways and fragmented parts through prophets, that that doesn't, that's nullified. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I think you should read this as, but in these last days, as in a continuation, as in God is, he has expanded the way he is communicating to the world. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by, by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, which that phrase, all things, shows up a number of times in Hebrews, and through whom also he made the universe. And then he just lists them. And Kip read these earlier, but in verse 3. And I put these in bullet points so you could see them. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. You want to know who God is? You look at Jesus through that. Sometimes when people are meeting with me and they're questioning whether God exists or not, I often go to this. Do you think of God through Jesus or Jesus through God? Which may be really confusing for you to even consider right now. But think about it. Jesus came saying things like, I have come to reveal to you who God is. You want to know who God is? You look and read Jesus. If you grew up thinking God is judgmental and angry all the time, look at Jesus and you'll have a different perspective of God. He's the radiance of God's glory. The reflection, a perfect reflection. It's the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. And it's to Jesus. He reveals exactly who God is to you. And he sustains. It's the word he bears. He carries all things by his powerful word. And verse 3 ends with, after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Which isn't a way to say that Jesus sat down on a couch, kicked up his feet because his work was completed. It's, it's the completion of his work, but Jesus is now reigning so he can dispense his goodness and gifts over the earth. But the purifications from sins was so important because what God did through Jesus, 
is what Jesus wants to do for all of us, and that's to give us access to God. And Jesus' purification for sin and his ability now to reign over everything and the kingdom he has been given by God came through humiliation and through great sacrifice and through his own death so that we could have access. So when everything in your life may seem like it has been taken from you or you are at the end of your rope, this is what we have. Hebrews 1 through 3, an anchor for your soul. Then in a moment in your life when you are going through the ringer and you don't know if you can go on anymore, what you need to know is God is not hiding from you because throughout Scripture, God doesn't hide from humans. It's humans who hide from God. Throughout Scripture, God is revealing that no matter what you were going through, God is not just handing you a rope, asking you to take hold of that so he can pull you out of the valley. God is revealed in Jesus. God is willing to get as low as you need God to get. His grace can get lower than your lowest low, to be with you in your trouble and to help you work forward. Jesus is what the world needs, and Jesus is what the church needs too. So Hebrews has something to say for those of you who may feel like you're at the end of your rope and you want to give up. This past week, there was a a well-known megachurch pastor who took his own life, death by suicide. It rocked a lot of us who were not just pastors, but just people because there's an epidemic. And and Hebrews wants you to know, those of you who are struggling with depression and anxiety and, and mental illness, that it's not a sin for you to be sick. And Hebrews is calling you, hey, you don't have to make decisions about the next 20 years of your life, but today, just today, will you choose life? Today. Hebrews has a word to speak to those of you who are just at the end of your rope in life. And maybe you're not thinking about ending your life, but you're questioning purpose. Hebrews is here to give you confidence again. Hebrews is written for those of you who find yourself at a point where you're complacent. You may be apathetic. It may have been years since you have said, okay, God, what do you want from me? Am I doing what you want? Hebrews, Hebrews is for you. And Hebrews is challenging all of us. That maybe in your life, you're not gonna quit faith. But you will be tested and tempted to just put it on cruise control. And maybe you don't go running back to some formal way in your life. But you choose just to tread water. And this isn't what God wants for you. So when my family and I were at the Grand Canyon a few weeks ago, uh, we decided to go on a little hike. We were going to hike about a mile and a half down into the canyon. And when we first started the hike... There were other people coming back up and they were sweating. Their shirts were drenched in sweat. They were tired. And I would ask, like, how far did you go? And they're like, like 50 yards down and 50 yards back. <laughs> I had this really funny encounter with this one family. And he was an African-American gentleman. And I said, man, how far did you go? And he was like, I went about around that corner right there that you can see. And I came back. And, and he was just out of breath. And he said, man, because one thing you didn't know is black people don't walk down into canyons. All right. That's just what he told me. so we go ahead and we walk about a mile and a half down in there and we're at this place where it's beautiful scenery the four of us we're having a great time I showed you pictures of of this a few weeks ago and then we started to walk back up and we didn't get very far and it was exhausting it was we were all tired and there were parents with kids and there you know a lot of the kids um they, they were having to take breaks and Noah was nine at the time Noah was done he didn't want to walk anymore 
So I looked at Casey, and I was like, baby, you carried him nine months in your belly. Could you just put him on your back and <laughs> make it? I really didn't do that. I didn't do that. But no, he was done. I said, Noah, how about we do this? I'm going to set my timer on my phone for 90 seconds. And we're going to walk at whatever your pace is. We're not going to sprint. We're not going to see how far we can go in 90 seconds. Just for 90 seconds, we're going to walk. And then we're going to take a break for 90 seconds. And then we're going to walk for 90 seconds. And this is going to be how we make progress back up this hill. And that's what we did. And for some of you, maybe what you need today. You've drifted from the center. And to get back may not happen overnight. But can you make some decisions in your life today? For a little bit of progress. And it's not based on your effort. But trusting in God just a little deeper. Praying with more conviction. Asking God to fill you with greater boldness. Just a little progress. And just to see what God's going to do. I want to ask the elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room to receive people. There may be someone in this room who has never made a confession in your life to surrender your life to Jesus. You can't do this on your own. You need Jesus. And if there's any way we can help you with that decision or what it means to confess and surrender a life and be baptized into Christ, we would love to talk with you and pray with you about this. And if there's someone who needs to renew a confession... We have a room full of people right now all around these walls to receive you for prayer, to pray blessings over you, to pray the fire of God in you, whatever it means to, bring, to help bring you back to life. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. Feel free to make your way around this room. Let's stand. Let's